0: So one November, many, many years ago, a reporter from Chicago was doing a a story on a family that lived in a tough part of the city. And that family, the Delgados, was made up of a 60-year-old grandmother named Perfecta and her two granddaughters who lived with her, Lydia and Jenny. Now, I'm not sure why he was writing a story on this family. They weren't wealthy or influential. In fact, it was just the opposite. They were dirt poor. This family had nothing. He described going into their tiny, rundown two-bedroom apartment. He said there was nothing there. It was barely big enough for the three of them, and they had no possessions. There was no rugs or furniture, no pictures on the wall. They didn't have anything. He said there was a small kitchen table and like a handful of rice. That's what this family had. They were so poor that when Lydia and Jenny walked to school in the freezing Chicago winter, they had to share a sweater. So Lydia would wear it for the first half of the walk. She'd take it off, give it to her sister, and Jenny would wear it for the second half. But he said despite all of this, the grandmother perfected. She had this this joy about her, especially when she talked about her faith in Jesus. And that was strange to the reporter, Because as an atheist, he just couldn't understand that. That despite this terrible poverty, how she could have joy. But, you know, his task was to write this story, so he wrote it and he moved on. Or at least he tried to. He couldn't get the Delgados out of his mind. So he was sitting in his office, and it was Christmas Eve, and he decided he was just going to drive on out to that part of the city and just check in on them. See how they were doing. When he got there, he knocked on the door and they opened it, and he was surprised at what he saw. Inside their apartment, there was was furniture, boxes of food, clothes, presents, all wrapped up. He found out that people read his article and they just started sending stuff to the family. But what shocked him most was what Perfecta and her granddaughters were doing when he got there. They were boxing it all up so that they could give it away. They were giving almost everything away that they had received. This is what Perfecta told him. She said, our neighbors are still in need. We can't have plenty while they have nothing. This is what Jesus would want us to do. She said, we did nothing to deserve this. It's a gift from God. But, Perfecta said, it's not his greatest gift. No, we celebrate that tomorrow. This greatest gift is Jesus. You know, that reporter had a hard time with all of that. that the generosity, the, the attitude they had, this faith that they displayed. It was hard for him to understand. Until years later, he himself investigated the claims of Christianity and then put his faith in Jesus Christ. That reporter, by the way, his name is Lee Strobel. Some of you may have read his journey of faith in his book, The Case for Christ. Very well-known book. In fact, if you haven't read it, I encourage that you do. Very well-known book. And thanks to him, the story of the Delgados is well-known, too. And the thing I love about the story of the Delgados is that they, they did Christmas right. Because, you see, in the eyes of the world, well, they were about to have a great Christmas, right? I mean, food, clothes, presents, what more could you need? But they knew that Christmas is already great because of Jesus. They knew that celebrating Jesus and his love and coming to this earth, that's greater than any gift under a tree. That family got Christmas right. And I don't know about you, church, but I want that too. You see, instead of us dreaming about presents, At Christmas, instead of dreaming about eggnog or instead of dreaming about a white Christmas, we need to be dreaming about a right Christmas. Uh, A Christmas where as God's people, we put Jesus Christ first and we make him our focus. But how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, thankfully, we have a great example for us in Scripture that we're going to look at this morning. There's a couple people who got it right that first Christmas, and I want us to see their story. But first, we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 1 together. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, I'd encourage you, you, use one of those Bibles under the seat in front of you, so that you can follow along. If you'd like to use one of those, you can turn to page 783. And that's where you'll find Matthew chapter 1. Page 783. Matthew... Chapter 1. Now last week, if you were here with us, you might remember we looked at that moment when Israel heard a direct word from God for the first time in 400 years. Now that happened when God sent his angel Gabriel to Zechariah. Gabriel told Zechariah that he and his wife Elizabeth, they were going to have a son in their old age. This miraculous birth. Now their son, we talked about, John, who we know as John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the forerunner of the Messiah. Well, six months after Gabriel delivered that message, God sent Gabriel again to bring even greater news to a young woman named Mary. Now, Matthew summarizes what took place at that time. Matthew chapter 1, let's look at verse 18 together. It says, This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus a couple of weeks ago pastor brandon preached a great message on the christmas story the birth of jesus it took us through a lot of the details that are found in luke's gospel here in matthew's gospel we get a really brief summary of the lord's birth before matthew goes on in chapter 2 to talk about the magi the wise men who came and these are parts of the Christmas story that we know, right? Uh, the angel Gabriel and the, the virgin birth. Uh, we know about uh, the baby in the manger, the silent night on which he was born. We think of the shepherds who were in their flocks, with the flock in the, the fields by night, and the, the angels came with good tidings of great joy. We think of the wise men who came and presented their gifts. These are what our nativity sets are made of, right? But there, there are a couple people who often get left out of the Christmas story. Two people whose reactions to the birth of Christ show us what a right Christmas looks like. Now, they're not usually talked about because they weren't there the night that the Lord was born. But the truth is, neither were the Magi. Despite what my son's nativity set teaches them, the truth is that the Magi didn't come the night of the Lord's birth. In fact, in Matthew chapter 2, you find in that account, which I encourage you to read today or tomorrow at home, you find that the Magi, when they arrived, they came to the house, not the place of the manger. And when they arrived, they saw the child, not the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Not only that, we read that when Herod learned he'd been tricked by the Magi, he commanded that all the boys in Bethlehem, two years old and under, be killed. You see, the Magi may have arrived months or even more than a year after the Lord's birth. So when we, when we talk about the Christmas story, most of us usually think of the time right before the Lord's birth, when okay, the angel came to Mary and then to Joseph. We think of the night of his birth, the manger and the shepherds. And then we think of the time after his birth, when the Magi came. But there's this gap of time between the manger and the Magi. And in that gap, that's where we find this incredible story These two people. Two people who knew the greatness of the moment and who knew how to respond when the Lord was born. So let's look at the next part of the story. For this, we're going to go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2, if you're following along. Luke chapter 2. If you're using those Bibles here in the sanctuary, that's page 832. We're going to start in verse 21 of Luke chapter 2, page 832. Verse 21, it says this. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses... Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. i stop here for just a second so we can understand what's going on here. Okay. I want to point out first that, that Jesus, you know, Jesus the creator of all things, savior of the world. Let's not lose sight of the very humble circumstances that he was born in. Not, not just that he was in the manger the night of his birth, because there's no room in the inn. It's more humble than that. Don't forget that the family he came to, not wealthy. They were a poor family. Part of the evidence for that is that their sacrifice was a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Well, that was the option for those who couldn't afford a lamb to sacrifice for this. The Lord came to humble circumstances. But these verses here in Luke chapter 2 as we read, they're not just here so we can know about the family's financial status, although we learn about it. It also shows the obedience of Joseph and Mary to follow the law of the Lord. It shows how from the very beginning, Jesus came to fulfill the law. But this is also here because of what happened next. See, as Mary and Joseph stood there in the temple, those praises of the shepherds, on the night of the Lord's birth, those praises had probably started to grow pretty quiet. But the Savior's praise was far from over. Look at verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Well, I don't know about you, but I, oh, I love, I love Simeon. Simeon was righteous and devout. And you want to know what Simeon wanted? Apparently at this point in life, more than anything else, he wanted to see the Savior. To witness the coming of the Lord. Nowadays, people have uh, bucket lists, right? Those things they want to do before they die. Simeon, he wanted to see the Savior. And when he finally did, he said, Lord, I can die in peace now. Simeon had seen the salvation from God that had come to Israel. Now, was everyone going to accept that salvation? No. No, they weren't. And so through the Holy Spirit's leading, Simeon told Mary, Jesus was going to cause the falling and rising of many. A sign to be spoken against, that she would be struck deeply by all this. You see, not everyone would follow Jesus. No, he would be rejected. People would be divided over him. And when he was crucified for our sins, Mary would feel pierced to her very soul. That day was going to come. But on this day, Simeon was holding in his hands the one that Israel had long waited for. And I tell you what, Simeon Simeon got Christmas right. Now I understand some of you might still be thinking, Andrew, this, this isn't part of the Christmas story. But look, If the Magi are part of the story, and they hadn't come yet, then Simeon's part of the story too. And he got Christmas right. Why? Because when Jesus was born, Simeon praised God. And church, I'm going to ask us all not to raise our hands or do anything like that. Just really evaluate. Be honest in our hearts right now, Christians. Okay, Is praising God our priority at Christmas? Let's all think very deeply about that and be honest. Is praising God our priority? Not something that we do, is it our priority at Christmas? You know, the most recorded Christmas song of all time, and some argue one of the most recorded songs of all time, the most recorded Christmas song of all time is Silent Night. And I want to tell you how that came about in case you don't know the story. It happened. Over 200 years ago, on Christmas Eve, uh, there was this young priest in Austria, this is the year 1818, and he was getting ready for his church's Christmas Eve evening service. And while he was preparing, he was checking some things, and then he found that the organ wouldn't work. And he, he knew that he, they needed the instrument, so he, he worked up for hours. He fiddled around with the church organ, couldn't get it to work. Didn't know what they were going to do. And at this, a lot of people might say, well, we won't have any singing, or maybe we're going to have to cancel the service altogether. This young priest was determined that they were going to praise God that Christmas. So he went to his office, and he was in his office looking through some papers, and he found this poem that he had written a couple years earlier. He thought to himself, okay, well, this could work. So he rushed to the house of the church organist, knocked on the door, told him all about the situation, what was going on. He showed him the poem and the organist he he put the poem to some music using the guitar and, and then they rushed to get their little choir together and they taught the words and the tune to the choir and then that christmas eve in that little church they sang for the very first time silent night and from there as you could imagine spread like wildfire from country to country, from the halls of great kings to concert venues. All these people singing about the Lord's birth and his redeeming grace, just like we sang this morning. And here's the thing, the reason that we have Silent Night is because this young priest was determined to make worshiping God a priority Christmas Eve 200 years ago. But long before Silent Night, and all the Christmas songs that we enjoy. Long before these, there was Simeon. Simeon was praising God for the birth of the Savior. In fact, Simeon's words have been taken for many, many years and used as a song of praise to God in various parts of the world. Now, that song is referred to as the nunc dimittis. It means now Lord in Latin. It's taken from some of the first words that he spoke. Now, here's the thing. A lot of us probably don't sing that song. Probably don't sing the same thing that Simon spoke. But the question is, do we praise God like Simon did? Is is it our heart's desire, church, to sing praises to the Lord? Is it our desire to praise Jesus for leaving the glory of heaven? And coming to this earth, do we want to thank him wholeheartedly every Christmas for this salvation that we enjoy? This salvation that was made possible because he came to this world for us? Is that our heart's desire? Simeon got Christmas right. Why? Because he praised the Lord. And so should we. But he's not the only one who got it right. There's somebody else for us to see. Look at verse 36. says there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment... She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And then there was Anna. And in three verses, we get this, this treasure trove of, of information about who Anna was, about, about her, her life and her character and her response to Jesus. You see, Anna loved God. Her life was a testimony to that fact. She, she proved that she loved God. In fact, after the death of her husband, that's what her life was all about. It all about God. I like how one pastor put it, which is that when Anna's husband died, she did not bury her hope in a grave. No, her hope, her joy, her focus was on God. Her life was at the temple. Worship was central to who Anna was. I mean, she was the type of person that was always there, worshiping God. If you didn't see Anna at the temple, there was a problem that day. Worship for her wasn't an obligation. It was something she did out of love for God. And you know what? We've got people like that here at our church. There are some of you that are here so often. I'm pretty sure this has become like your primary residence. You're here all the time. And you know what? I love that. You're here because you love the Lord. So you want to be in God's house. You want to be around God's people all the time. I love that. That's what Anna was like. So when Simeon is standing there holding the Savior and praising God, is it any surprise that who walks up? Anna. Anna walks up. And like Simeon, she gave thanks to God. And like Simeon, Anna got Christmas right. Why? She praised God, that's true. But also, when Jesus was born, Anna proclaimed the good news to others. She told people about the birth of the Savior. People needed to know about that. They needed to know that good news, so Anna was going to share it with them. And church, we need to learn from her example, because we have the greatest news. Church, we have the greatest news. That not only did Jesus leave the beauty of heaven to come to this dirty, broken, sin-filled world, not only was he born in this great miracle of the virgin birth, No, we also know that then Jesus lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for our sins. And he powerfully rose from the dead. Christians, we know the truth that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. We know that when we come to Jesus in faith, repenting of our sins and choosing to follow him as our Savior and Lord, that in that very moment, we're rescued from sin and hell. And we're given eternal life. Church, that's some good news. And the great thing about Christmas is that There's a lot of people who know the general details. They know that Christmas is about the birth of Jesus. So what a great opportunity to tell them why Jesus came, to tell them why this is good news, to tell them that he came to save them from hell, to give them eternal life. One of the ways that we get Christmas right is by using every opportunity to share the good news with others. There was a way that we were able to do that together this year as a church. One of the ways we did that was at the Wildwood Christmas Parade. There are several ways we did, but the Christmas Parade really stuck out in my mind this week. You know, the parade is a time when people were just celebrating Christmas the world's way. Lights, kind of presents, the festivities of it all. But some of you saw a gospel opportunity in that. And so a group of believers from our church, led by Brother Neil, used that opportunity to hand out Hundreds of church invitations, gospel tracts with the candy that we passed out. Well, just a a simple opportunity to use the world celebration of Christmas to share with the world what Christmas is actually about. It's about the goodness of salvation in Jesus Christ. And look, maybe maybe you didn't get to be there for that. Maybe you didn't get to be a part of that at the Christmas party. That's okay. The good news is that Christmas isn't over. In fact, it hasn't even happened yet. And there are plenty of people in our community, in our neighborhoods, in our families. There are plenty of people who are going to celebrate Christmas the world's way. Believers, let's look for opportunities in the midst of that to tell those people what Anna and what Simeon and what Perfecta Delgado all knew. And that's that the greatest gift is Jesus. And that the salvation that he offers, nothing can compare to that. Church, my prayer is that all of us would get Christmas right this year by making it about Jesus. And two of the very simple ways that we can do that is first by genuinely praising Jesus for coming to this world for us. And then the second way is to earnestly look for someone that we can share the good news of salvation with. Those are two of the ways that we can make this a right Christmas as God's people. Now, look, in just a minute, we're going to have a time of a final song where you have that opportunity to rejoice, to praise Jesus for his great love. you also have the opportunity during that time, look, use that time to pray. Go to the Lord in prayer for that lost person that I trust he's already laying on your heart right now, believer, and pray that God would give you a chance to share the gospel with them, to share the good news you'd be able to share that today or tomorrow. You'd be able to do that this Christmas. Church, here's the challenge for all of us. It's, it's very simple, and it's this. Don't, don't let this Christmas go by without praising Jesus for his birth and proclaiming his salvation to others. That's it. Don't let this Christmas go by without praising Jesus for his birth and sharing and proclaiming his salvation to others. Now listen. Listen. I know what some of us are thinking. We're thinking, Andrew, sure, I'll praise Jesus. I'll do that before I leave. But Andrew, there's no time to share the gospel with this person that's on my heart. Not even going to see him tomorrow, Andrew. And Christmas is already here. In case you're wrestling with thoughts like that, let me encourage you with this. You know what I've found? People like talking about Christmas. Christmas. They like talking about how Christmas went, even when it's over. Remember, Anna and Simeon praised Jesus and proclaimed him mother after the Lord was born. Okay? And I found people, they'll talk about Christmas for a while. You've got plenty of time to ask somebody after Christmas, hey, hey how'd your Christmas go? What'd you do? Did you enjoy it? Can I share with you something I really enjoyed? I really enjoyed being able to praise Jesus for coming to this earth, bringing this salvation that I enjoy. There are lots of ways that we can do this so we can share the gospel, believers. The key is that we would be intentional about it. And church, when we are intentional about praising Jesus and proclaiming Him to others, that's when we'll find that we're not just going to have a good Christmas. We're going to have a great Christmas. We're going to have a Christmas all about Jesus. That's a right Christmas. And church, it's the one that I pray that all of us will have. So believers, those are my two challenges for all of us this Christmas season. But maybe you're here, and Jesus isn't your Savior. You've never put your faith in Jesus. you never asked Him to forgive you of your sins. you never made Him the Savior of your life. Friend, if that's true for you, I just want you to listen one more time to what Simeon said. When Simeon was holding Jesus, he said to God, my eyes have seen your salvation. Friend, he said, my eyes have seen your salvation. Simeon saw Jesus. Friend, I want you to understand that salvation, eternal life, the guarantee that you'll be in heaven, that's not found in your good works. Okay, it's not found in baptism. It's not found in going to church, even on Christmas. It's not found in those things. Salvation is found in Jesus. Jesus. The Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. You see, Jesus came because on our own, we can't be made right in God's sight. We we can't do that. We can't make up for our sin, for our wrongdoing. And the punishment for our sin, the just punishment, is to be separated forever from God in a place called hell. So Jesus came. And Jesus did what we can't do. He lived a perfect life. And at the end of that life, Jesus willingly died on the cross, See, he took our place, took our punishment, took all the wrath we deserve. Then after he was buried, three days later, Jesus powerfully rose from the dead, proving that he's no mere man. Now he's the Son of God who came to this earth for me and you. And Jesus is standing in heaven right now waiting to forgive you of all your sins, to pardon you from that penalty of hell, because he took the punishment for you, and to give you eternal life. That's the guarantee that after this life you'll be in heaven with him. Friend, the Bible says in Romans chapter 10 verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Friend, I promise you there is no greater gift than the eternal life that Jesus Christ offers you. And you can receive that gift before you leave here today. Would you pray with me? Friend, if that's where you're at, if if you're here and you just, you know that... You've never given your life to Jesus. Never received that forgiveness. Or Maybe you're here and you're not sure. You you don't know what's going to happen after this life. You don't know if you've been forgiven by the Lord. Friend, understand that Jesus wants to forgive you of all your sins. He wants to save you. And if you're willing to put your faith in him, the Bible says that we can be sure Once we have put our faith in Jesus Christ, that we have been forgiven, that we have eternal life. And if you would like to do that, if you'd like to make that decision, you can come and find me during this final song and come to the front. We can talk, pray together, can answer any questions that you might have. But if you're ready right now to give your life to Jesus, I don't want you to wait another moment to receive the greatest gift of your life. You can pray something like this Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I've done bad things. I've broken your commands. But Jesus, I know you you came to this earth and you died for my sins. And I believe that you didn't stay in the grave, but that you rose from the dead. And Jesus, today I'm asking you to, to forgive me of my sin. I'm asking you to be my Savior. I'm ready to receive that eternal life that you promise. I'm ready to follow you the rest of my days. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that if there is someone here that made that decision, that they be sure to share it with someone before they leave. Because there is no greater decision we can make in this life than to give our lives to you, to follow you. And I pray that if there's anybody here who still hasn't made that decision, they're not sure where they stand with you, they don't know what to think, I pray they wouldn't leave here with all those questions and that uncertainty. They'd be willing to come to the front and talk with me about these things. Father, for those of us who have made that decision, who have put our faith in Jesus, help us to make sure that this this Christmas is all about Jesus. That we would be intentional in praising you. We would be intentional about telling people the good news of salvation. Because this is one of those unique times of year, Father, where, where people are even more open to talking about spiritual things. Where there are more opportunities to have those conversations. Help us not to let this time pass us by. Open our eyes to the unsaved neighbors and family members that we have to the unsaved people all around us who just need someone to tell them the good news that jesus came to save them help us to be faithful to these things i pray that as we are we would be filled with your joy that we would bring you glory and honor as we sing this final song father we pray that you'd be pleased We pray that you be glorified here at First Baptist Church of Oxford and in our lives. Father, we love you. You proved when you sent your son 2,000 years ago that you love us more. And we praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.